Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. I missed you people. How y'all doing? Hope you had a great holiday. We're back and we're back live and here and you and I are back together again. It's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in. Um, Normally we don't do end of the week shows until it's end of the week, you know, Friday. But we decided since we've been gone a little while, you missed me, I missed you. We all miss one. That we would have an end of the week show today. We're going to talk about a lot of things, cover a lot of grounds. I got a lot of interesting things to say about the world, okay? Because in some measure, by some means, people have lost their minds. (laughs) But I'm going to help them find it again. And so we're gathered. Get comfortable. Take your shoes off. And let's ride this out. Highly, is there a bumper? I don't know. Headlines, you got a bumper? Play it. <laughs> that was good, Highly. You just dug that one up. We haven't, we haven't used that one in a while. Anyway, so let's talk about the Mormon church. In a most shocking move, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has decided that they will endorse the federal bill that's moving through Congress that strengthens safeguards for same-sex marriage. Bet you didn't expect me to say that. It's shocking because the Mormon church is as conservative as conservative gets, okay? You, when you think about being conservative, you think about the Mormons, okay? The Mormons believe in so-called traditional marriage. They apparently also believe in having a lot of children. <laughs> And they've traditionally been against, they've opposed same gender loving people having rights. So it's kind of a big deal that the Mormon church came out and said, we support the bill that the Senate just passed, the bill that we'll talk about on this show today in a little while. It's kind of a big deal. I mean, you you don't think of the Mormons being progressive, all right? I'm not knocking anybody who's Mormon. I'm just saying you don't think of the Mormon church as being liberal and progressive because they're not. And in a statement released by the Mormon church, they said that they still believe that marriage is only meant for so-called heterosexual couples and that they continue to consider same gender loving people and their relationships to be against God's law. This is the Mormons, not me. And that the Mormons um, say that they would support gay rights and gay marriage and gay couples as long as it didn't, the bill rather, didn't infringe upon their ability to believe as they choose. So there's a little condition. (laughs) The moments are like, gays can get married as long as we don't have to believe that them being married is a good idea. So the Mormons support gay marriage so as long as the law does not require Mormons, Mormons rather, to change their beliefs And on the face of it, I kind of think that's fine. Let me tell you why. You can't make nobody believe nothing they don't want to believe, and you ought to stop trying. Come on, Dr. Sean. Sitting around trying to convince somebody to believe something that they're fundamentally incapable of believing is a waste of your life. Because the Mormons want to believe that same gender life of people are against the law of God, and let them believe it. Go on and believe it. If that's the world that you want to construct in the little silos, synoptic areas of your mind, then go on and do it. But here's the dangerous part. It's one thing to say that you all, that, that, that they support, rather, gay marriage as long as they can still believe what they want to believe. But it's another thing for you to take those beliefs 
as the basis of action that infringe upon my rights. Because your beliefs are not more important than other people's rights. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? People start thinking that their little beliefs should constitute the totality of reality. But the reality is people's rights and their constitutional democracy mean more than your beliefs. And here's the thing I've been waiting to say all day as I shake my head like this. What if your beliefs are wrong? The Mormons say they will support the bill as long as they don't have to change their beliefs. But what if you have the wrong beliefs? What if your beliefs are wrong? The only way an institution or a religion continues to make progress and not destroy itself is that at some point it has to confront the truth of its own beliefs. Here's an example. Wani Wan, you listening? The church said that the earth was flat. The church taught us that. And guess what the church had to do? Change its beliefs. It was the church that said that the sun moved around the earth while the earth stood still. The church taught that. And what did the church have to do? Change its beliefs. I'm just saying. Just believe in something because you believe it is not a, a successful recipe for living a good life. You got to adjudicate what you believe and ask yourself important questions. Does this still make sense? <laughs> so here it is. I'm okay with the Mormon church supporting this bill and wanting to maintain their own little silo of thinking and believing. But I'm only okay with it up until the point it starts infringing upon my rights and your rights and other people's rights. But look at it this way, because I like to find some joy. <laughs> look at it this way. At least the Mormon church seems to be making some progress, right? Because there was a year, just a couple of years ago, nobody would have ever thought the Mormon church would support a bill in support of gay marriage. And it just goes to show you that um, progress is more incremental than it is radical. Sometimes it takes people longer to get there. And we should probably not beat up on people because they took longer to get there. We should just celebrate the fact that they arrived. You understand what I'm saying? If there's somebody in your life taking a little long to get there, how about you keep on plugging and keep on working and keep on doing all the things you're trying to do to make sure that they become a better version of themselves as you seek to do the same yourself. And before you know it, you might wake up one morning and discover that they've taken on an understanding that you never thought they would have. I don't want to say shout out to the Mormon church because I believe that their beliefs are wrong. But shout out to the Mormon church because <laughs> they're trying or at least acting like they are. All right, let's move on. This one is really going to get you. There's a teacher in Texas who was fired for telling his students, some of whom are black, that his race was a superior race. I think we have a clip. Let's take a look at it. Deep down in my heart, I'm ethnocentric, which means I think my race is the superior one. I think everybody thinks that, they're just not honest about it. Wow. <laughs> did, you, did you hear what he just said? This is in the classroom. Deep down in my heart, he said, I feel that my race is a superior race. But this so-called teacher um, is a teacher at Bowles Middle School in Pflugerville, Texas. And thankfully, um, he's been fired. <laughs> yes, he, he should be fired. You get up in a classroom full of impressionable students and declare that your race is superior. Personally, I feel deep down in my heart. Goes back to belief. Everybody's wrapped up in what they believe without any justification or adjudication of the belief. Whole other conversation, we'll have it next week. But here he is spreading his little beliefs on impressionable children, making white people, white kids in that class feel superior in a way that they don't deserve, and black and brown kids in that class feel inferior in a way that is not true. Thankfully, the school superintendent, Douglas Killian, said in a statement 
that the teacher's comments were inappropriate, inaccurate, and unacceptable, and that this type of interaction will not be tolerated. And they fired him. Though, of course, when people do right, we should celebrate them, right? Don't you agree? Shout out to the uh, Bowles Middle School, the superintendent there in Pflugerville, Texas. Shout out for y'all doing the right thing. Because I really don't see how you can keep this man on staff after he goes around saying stuff like this. But here's the part that I just want to talk about, right? This is you and I. Here's the part that I want to talk about. What is it about white folks? Not all white folks, but what is it about white folks that just makes y'all feel like you need to be superior to somebody? <laughs> can somebody explain this to me? Now, of course, this does not apply to all white people, okay? Because I got some white friends, and they cool human beings. They don't have this dysfunction. Doesn't apply to everybody. Doesn't apply to every, every white person. But what is it? What is it? What is it about certain big segments of the white community that just makes y'all feel like y'all need to be superior? Huh? What is it about white culture, in this case in particular, white supremacist culture, that just makes you traffic in supremacy so much? That you always feel you need to walk around telling people how much better you are than them, how much superior you are th to them. Because the truth of the matter is, if you really are better, you don't need to say it. Come on, Dr. Sean. If you really were superior, everybody would know it. Wouldn't have to come out your mouth every five seconds. And you wouldn't have to stand in a classroom telling kids that you're better than them. What pleasure do you get out of telling a little child, I'm better than you? <laughs> you know how crazy you got to be to get pleasure out of that? I'm just trying to say, what is it about white culture, and in this case, white supremacist culture, that seems to make it hard for some white folks to live with the rest of us in peace and harmony as brothers and sisters and human beings? Like, why do you need to be better? Why can't you just be one of us, along with the African, the Asian, the indigenous brother and sister, the Hispanic brother and sister, the gay, the straight brother. I mean, why, why, why can't you just be another flower in the garden of humanity? Why you ought to be better all the time? Because the truth of the matter is, you ready for this? Y'all ain't superior. <laughs> You're not. I got proof. Because if you were superior, you would have you picked your own cotton, chopped your own tobacco, built your own southern economy, and not stolen, not have stolen millions of Africans from the continent of Africa to do your work for you. Superior people don't do that. <laughs> I love this show so much. <laughs> I'm just saying. You ain't superior. You're not inferior either. You're just human. And why isn't that enough? Why isn't it enough for some segments of the white community to be human? Let, let me prove my point. You ready for this, Wani? Africans literally invented philosophy. Africans invented medicine. Africans invented mathematics. Africans, Cadmus, invented written language. Africa invented poetry. The first astronomers were African. The first theologians were African. Monotheism was invented on the continent of Africa, Akhenaten. But you don't see Africans running around talking about, we superior. <laughs> you don't do that. Geometry created in Africa. But we don't run around trying to make Asian people or indigenous people or Hispanic people or white people feel like they're inferior. We don't have that need. So where does it come from? Why do you only feel tall if you're standing on somebody's neck? I think y'all need to figure this out, okay? Because if you only feel tall if you're standing on my neck, then the truth of the matter is there's something wrong with you. Not all white people. Just the ones that want to get up in classrooms and tell little kids, I feel in my heart that I'm superior. Let me do one more. On Twitter, 
Let's talk about Twitter, people, all right? I told you when Elon Musk bought Twitter, it was going to be a you-know-what show. And guess what? It is. <laughs> so, and you remember how y'all were saying, oh, Tesla and SpaceX, yeah, he's a genius. Okay, Mr. Genius. So, how about the fact that since Elon Musk has bought Twitter, that a third of its marketers, advertisers rather, have decided not to do any marketing on the platform. Its top 100 advertisers have decided not to do anything in the past few weeks. And when I say a past few weeks, I mean since Elon bought it. <laughs> Dozens of advertisers, 14 of the top 50, have stopped advertising on the platform altogether because of Elon Musk's chaotic leadership approach. I got to take a break, but let me say this. I told you before, when you empower a clown, you should expect the circus. Elon Musk traffics in right-wing conspiracy craziness. He retweeted a video or a post that blamed Paul Pelosi for his own attack and his own abuse at the hands of a right-wing nut. That's Elon Musk. He traffics in conspiracy, chaos and confusion, willing to bring back accounts that are racist, that are predatory to children in the name of free speech. Let me tell y'all something, okay? The value of this story is this, and I'm going to take this break. Just because somebody is gifted in one area does not make them virtuous. Just because somebody is good at doing a particular thing does not make them a good person. Because who you are outside of the area of your gift is an indication of who you really are. Because the Bible says that gifts come without repentance. So y'all can uh, do your thing on Twitter, and we'll see what happens, okay? Allegedly. <laughs> Let's take a break. We'll be right back right after this. I got some more headlines for you. I ain't done yet. Welcome back, everybody. So we're doing our kind of end of the week show a week before we normally do an end of the week show. And I kind of like it. Play the bumper, Hiley. Let's talk about Yale University. Hard for me to say the word. But let's talk about Yale University. There's a group of students um, who are apparently suing the university for allegedly, allegedly discriminating against students with mental health disabilities. I just want to put this out here. Wani Wan, listen. We're talking about Yale, not Harvard. This is happening at Yale, not Harvard. I just want to put it out there. It's not like I have any emotional attachment or any connection, but this is about Yale and not Harvard. Thank you, Juan. Anyway, back to the story. The lawsuit alleges that the university discriminated and discriminates against students with mental health disabilities and forces them to withdraw from the university huh, if they are showing severe symptoms of mental health in any way. If they show symptoms of severe mental health, the university, Yale University, makes those students withdraw. And the students who do are made to withdraw, rather, the university bars them from visiting campus uh, and all campus activities unless they have prior permission from the school and they must reapply. That is, they must be readmitted to come back to school. So if you have a mental health situation and you're showing, showing rather severe symptoms, you have to withdraw and in order to get back, you got to reapply like you had never been there. And you can't come on campus for any reason. No events. And let me just be clear about this. I do understand why the university is doing this. I do understand, and I'll tell you why. Because we just saw at the University of Virginia what happens when there's students running around with mental health symptoms, issues, disabilities. Students lost their lives. 
So I understand that universities are really thinking about this and they want to protect themselves from lawsuits and they also want to protect other students from people who may be exhibiting severe symptoms. I get it. I understand it. I totally get it. But there's got to be a way to achieve that that doesn't make people who are sick feel like criminals. There's no reason to treat somebody who is sick like a criminal before they've done anything wrong. You follow me? Now, if you're in the commission of a crime or after a crime has been committed, then you should be treated like a, a criminal. But if you are depressed, if you are dealing with despair, if you're dealing with whatever it is, you should not be treated like a criminal. While at the same time, other people around you should not be left unprotected against the issues you may be exhibiting. Right? You, you can see the logic of, my, of my, my argument, right? It's a logical argument. So there's got to be a way to do this where you don't make people feel like criminals and at the same time, you protect the students. So I have some suggestions for, you, for Yale, okay? How about this? How about instead of making people withdraw from the university, the university instead requires that people take a leave of absence which is different from withdrawing. When you take a leave of absence, it means you are still a part of the community, but you're not functioning in the community right now. You follow me? And how about instead of, instead of making people reapply like they had never been there, why not create a process that adjudicates the stability and the progress and the ability to uh, integrate back into the community? Why not create a process that's not just an admission process where there's, where there's a professional evaluation, there are peer reviews, it takes advantage of online situations, and you gradually work your way back. You see what I'm saying? See, there's a way to do this where we don't make people feel like they need to hide the fact that they're in trouble. Because when you treat people like criminals and they're in pain, they're going to hide the pain. And then the pain is going to manifest itself because buried feelings don't die. They fester and take on a life of their own. So this is not just for Yale. This is for every university, every college, really every institution. If there are people in your midst who are suffering emotionally, protect the people who are not suffering, but treat the people who are like they're suffering, not like they're necessarily always dangerous. And just for the sake of this conversation, wine and wine, I want to say it again. This is happening at Yale. And not where? Not Harvard. Anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about gay rights. I mentioned it a little bit when I talked about the Mormon church. But listen, shout out to the United States Senate who passed this week a landmark piece of legislation to protect gay marriage, but also remember that the bill also protects interracial marriage. And interracial is not just black and white, right? It's Asian and Latino. It's uh, indigenous and, I don't know, black. So this bill is a landmark piece of legislation called the Respect for Marriage Act. And to our delight and to my surprise, it got a fair piece of bipartisanship to get out of the Senate. And that's what allowed it to get through. At the end of the day, there were 61 votes in support of the bill, 36 votes against it. All the Democrats voted for it, two of the independents voted for it, and 12 Republicans voted for it. Shout out to the 12 Republicans and all the Democrats and the independents. You see, it's important that we understand when it's all said and done that um, gay rights and the ability of gay folks to get married should be extended to everybody. If straight folks can get married, gay folks should be able to get married. What's the difference? A marriage is a marriage. And, ain't, and most marriages ain't fun and they ain't easy. <laughs> so if you, if you want to take on this pain, be my guest. <laughs> Gay rights activists and groups have already told us that the bill is not a panacea. There are problems with the bill. Things need to happen to improve it. And I understand all that. But it's a beginning. 
It's a beginning to codify marriage protections for same-gender-loving people in the face of what the Supreme Court would like to do, and that is to undermine same-gender-loving people. Because when the Supreme Court decided to overturn Roe versus Wade, Clarence Thomas also indicated and suggested that Griswold, which is the case that enshrined gay marriage, should also be re-adjudicated, also known as struck down. And that's the part of the story that's interesting. Listen to this part. This is about to get good. Because the irony of the story and the shady part of the story relates to Clarence Thomas. Follow me, people. This is about to get good. So when the Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade, in his concurring decision, Clarence Thomas wrote that, literally wrote, we should look at Griswold too. And Griswold was the case that enshrined gay marriage. But when the Democrats went to pass the legislation, they just didn't protect gay marriage. They also protected, wait for it, interracial marriage. And guess who's in an interracial marriage? Thomas, baby. Don't you love the shade? I don't care what nobody says to me. That's shade. <laughs> they were like, not only will we protect gay marriage, we're going to protect interracial marriage, too. And let's see you not like that, Clarence Thomas. <laughs> let's see you strike down this law. Because if he struck down the law, he would essentially be making his own marriage illegal. And what Clarence Thomas fails to realize is that the same people who don't want gay people to be able to marry other gay people are the same people who don't want white people to marry black people or black people to marry white people or Hispanic people to marry white people or indigenous people to marry white people. They just want white people to marry white people. Same group. Here's the thing I don't get about this. Now, I'm gonna, I gotta take a break, but I thought the Republican Party were all about family values. And here you got two consenting adults who also happen to be of the same gender trying to have a family. How can you say you're all about family values and you are against gay folks creating families? It means that you're not for family values. You're just for your family for your conception of what a family is. A man and a woman. Ah, come on, Juan. That's, that's all you support. If it's not a man and a woman, it's not a family. So what are you trying to say? I didn't grow up in a the family. There was no man in my house, just my mama. My mama raised me. A woman with a sixth grade education, who washed floors and, and cleaned clothes and was a seamstress and took care of other people's kids. She's the reason I'm sitting on this stage right now and on TV right now. You gonna tell me I didn't grow up in the family? My, I, we weren't a family? Huh? What about Barack Obama? He didn't grow, he didn't grow up with a man and a woman, just his mama. He didn't grow up in the family? You see, you don't get to tell people who their family happens to be. You don't get to impose your conception of family on other people. If that's the kind of family you want, then go on and have it. And, and, and since you want that kind of family, how about you make it a good family, not a dysfunctional family? We all in there abusing each other. Huh? <laughs> Woo! Hot grease, baby. This is why I do this show. <laughs> I don't care what nobody says. The Democrat, that's shady. They, that's shade, I'm telling you. All right, let's do one more. I gotta take a break. Oh, let's talk about Will Smith. <laughs> Oh, Lord, I got to rush, but this is going to be good, okay? Y'all might want to sit down. <laughs> Take your shoes off. You're going to need to squinch your toes by the time I'm done. So Will Smith opened up to Trevor Noah about his now-famous slap incident that took place at the Oscars in March. And when the conversation happened Will, with Trevor Noah, Will Smith described the dreadful night uh, as he claimed that he lost it. He said that... um. You never know what people are dealing with and going through. And he went on to say um, that that night he was going through something. And what he was going through is not an excuse for what he did, but he was going through something. But Trevor Noah asked Will Smith an important question. Trevor Noah asked Will Smith, what did you learn from the incident? 
It's almost a Dr. Sean question, right? Right, Juan? That's some, if he, Will was here, I would have asked him the same thing. What did you learn? And in part, Will Smith said that he learned that we have to be and need to be nice to each other. Now, before I go on my tirade, let me simply say I agree with Will Smith. I say it at the end of all my shows, be good to each other, right? I do think we need to be nicer, more compassionate, and good to each other. But let me also say that if Will Smith was here right now, I would say to him, Will, that can't be the biggest lesson that you learned from slapping another man on TV, another black man on national TV, live at the Oscars. That cannot be the lesson that you learned, not the main one. No, 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 no. Will, here's what I, if he was here, I would say, Will, here's what you should have learned. You should have learned that when you lead with your ego, huh? When you lead with your ego and your pride, you end up doing things that undermine you and manipulate you into places and spaces you were never born to be. When you lead with your ego, if Will Smith was here, I would say this is not about being nicer to each other, sir. What happened on that stage that night was not about you believing that uh, you should be kinder. What happened on that stage was you believing that how you felt was more important than anything else. It was you wrapped in selfishness and narcissism, believing that your feelings were the only feelings that mattered. You didn't care about Chris Rock. You really didn't care about your wife. You didn't care about the audience. You didn't think about your children who were watching. And you didn't care about the other people in the room or the millions of other people who had to watch it around the world. All you cared about in that moment was your feelings, your ego, and how it affected and meant to you. Truth of the matter is, if he was here, I would say, Will, you didn't even in that moment care about yourself. It was all ego. And in that moment, sir, if he was here, that's what I would say to him. And in that moment, Will, you were the weakest man in the world. Because anybody who can push your buttons that sufficiently and move you to that kind of space so easily has controlled you even if you get up and slap him. You know how many times people have done crazy things because they felt disrespected, killed people because they felt disrespected, hit people because they felt disrespected, walked out on people because they felt disrespected, and all of it was about ego. And the truth of the matter is the thing that triggered you was probably so small and so insignificant, insignificant rather, that had you simply ignored it, you would have robbed it of its power. Will Smith was here tonight, I would say to him, how about what you learn from this is to put your ego back in your back pocket. Stop letting people push your buttons and learn that if you lead with your heart and not your ego, you end up in better places. But he's not here tonight. It's just us. And the advice I would give him is the advice I give me and you. Check your ego, Juan. You too, highly. <laughs> Let's take a break. We'll be right back with more right after this. Welcome back, everybody. Um, I want to tell you about a man named Francis Roberts. I want to take my time with this because this is going to be instructive for all of us. We're going to learn a lot from this little story. Francis Roberts is a 77-year-old man who is reporting that allegedly his landlord has been harassing him to leave his apartment because his rent is only $450 a month. Mr. Roberts have li has lived, rather, in the same Crown Heights basement apartment for more than 20 years, and he says that now uh, unidentified green liquid is leaking out the ceiling and, and, and loud music is now blaring at the decibel level of a jackhammer. And he says that the landlord has allegedly allowed squatters who live close to the building and that to get into the building, 
There is trash, you see it right there, and drug paraphernalia, and all of this the landlord has allowed to happen because the landlord, according to Mr. Roberts, allegedly, he's, the landlord wants him out. The landlord wants to turn the building into a market rate building. When Mr. Roberts got hit, moved in, he got his rent under the conditions of rent stabilization laws of New York. And if you live in New York or learn the big city, you, you know that there are stabilization laws which doesn't allow the rent to go up. So the landlord offered Mr. Roberts to move free, rent free. He would take care of the move. The landlord said that he would repair the building if Mr. Roberts moved. But Mr. Roberts has thought to himself that the landlord only wants me to move so he can get me out of this building. And then once he gets me out of this building, the stabilization laws will change, whatever the conditions of those laws are, once I've moved out. Because remember, once you move out, you moved out. Mr. Roberts believes the landlord wants him to move out under the guise of it being temporary so that it can become a permanent situation when the landlord says to Mr. Roberts subsequently, in order to move back in, the rent's gonna go up. See, this is an example, and this is why I'm taking my time. This is an example of two people not thinking clearly. And I'm not knocking Mr. Roberts, because I think he's in the right in this. He's not necessarily doing anything wrong. But here's what I want you to think about. You see, Sometimes your peace of mind and your capacity to be stressed out has to mean as much to you as your economic situation. Sometimes you got to consider the possibility that you're not being able to sleep or have peace in your house may not be worth $450 worth of rent, even though it's cheap and livable and all you can afford. Because you have to ask yourself, how much is this costing Mr. Roberts emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually to hear music blasting, jackhammer noise, people squatting, drug paraphernalia, green stuff coming out your ceiling? I mean, yeah, you live there, and yeah, you're only paying $450, which let me say, one, I wish my rent was $450. Hold on. Dear baby Jesus, if there's any way, I'm praying, y'all, pray with me. If there's any way you can get my rent to be $450, I will praise you for the rest of my life. Back to the story. He has to think at some point, this is costing me too much. But I said this example of two people not thinking clearly. The landlord's not thinking clearly either because the landlord is so greedy and so seedy and so committed to money and getting all the money he can get that he hasn't considered the possibility that maybe if he just allows this man who is 77 years old to live out the balance of his days in good report that he can take a loss a little bit for a basement apartment, redevelop the building. You follow what I'm saying? Put people in at another level of rent at market rate, and he can win without winning at all. This is why I do this show, to help people think. But he's so greedy and so committed to victory that he doesn't understand that when you allow a 77-year-old man to have dignity, you can't lose. I don't know what's going to happen with this situation. I hope Mr. Roberts is okay. I hope he ends up being okay, and not just with the rent, but also with his peace of mind, because he's 70, 70 years old. I also hope that the landlord comes to his senses. And not just the landlord. I hope you come to yours, too, because a lot of us are fighting battles that ain't the trouble of winning. What does it mean? And what is the value of being a forgotten king of an insignificant mountain? Think about that during the break. And, and, and think about some of the arguments we're having aren't worth the trouble of opening our mouths. Okay? I promise I'll be back right after this. <laughs> Go. Welcome back, everybody. So I got some more headlines for you we, during the break. Wani Wan over there and I was talking about Mr. Roberts because that story was, was so interesting. And the thing I said to Wan that I want to say to you is that sometimes you can't, you can't have it all. You got to make hard decisions, right? 
And uh, he's going to Mr. Robert's going to have to decide is that four hundred and fifty dollars a month is worth his sanity and his peace. You know, I don't want him to be homeless, but I don't want him to be crazy either. I don't want him to, you know, have a stroke. <laughs> I'd rather pay more rent than have a stroke. Who that'll preach. <laughs> All right. Highly play a bumper. Got you. See, I got him. I got you, Hiley. I got you. I got you. I got you. I live for this. Let's talk about the U.S. soccer team. I'm not really into soccer, but I have been watching the World Cup because, you know, it's the World Cup. And the United States uh, national team beat the Iranian national team. And, um, yes, it was quite a match. And, of course, when the American team goes against the Iranian team, it's loaded up with all of the, you know, issues that take place between the Iranian and American government. But an amazing thing happened after the game, that after the Americans won the game, two of the players from the American team, Josh Sargent and DeAndre Yedlin, went over to the Iranian players, Iranian players, did I say that right? Yes, kind of. Iranian players, and gave them a hug. They embraced them. The American soccer team, decided that they wanted to, you know, make sure that the world knew that in spite of what the two governments may think about each other, the people of America and the people of Iran are not in consternation. And the American players embraced the Iranian players. When asked about the embrace after the game, Josh Sargent said, and I quote, everybody's human, and obviously we've all been working hard to get to this moment, and it's not an easy situation when you lose. And that was how he understood why he was hugging an Iranian player. So first of all, shout out to Josh and shout out to DeAndre for ex expressing and manifesting, manifesting rather, the kind of humanity that the rest of us should be showing. You see, what they did on a soccer field was show the best of the American experiment with freedom and democracy. And that happens when you understand that people are just people. The white people are people, and black people are people, and indigenous people are people, Asian people are people, Latino people are people, Hispanic people are people, gay people are people, trans people are people. I can keep going. Rich people are people, poor people are people, huh? fat people are people. People with a little belly are people, people. <laughs> Woo, Hiley's a people. Hiley's a person. <laughs> We're all people. And what they expressed on the soccer field was, was something simple, that we all laugh and dance and cry and grieve and celebrate in the same way, in every language and in every culture. Every human being has to deal with death, dread, disease, and despair. We all love in every language, in every culture, in every part of the globe. We all die. We all bury our dead. We all win and we all lose. So my point is this, because you look a little lost. When are we going to stop needing other people to give us permission to treat people the way we know we should treat them? When are we going to stop waiting for a government or a pastor or a church or a social media influencer to give us permission to do exactly what these young men did on a soccer field, to see another human being in distress and to simply go to them and say, I see you, I feel you, I embrace you. Why are you waiting for somebody to come along and make that okay for you when you have the power to do it yourself? Who are you not embracing? Who have you allowed their race, their gender, their sexuality, their light skin, dark skin, huh? You a Delta, they're AKA. <laughs> you're an Alpha, they're Kappa. You're an Omega, they're Sigma. You're like, no way. Who have you allowed to convince you to think like that, to live like that? When the truth of the matter is, sometimes you just have to dare to love people and care about people simply because they're standing in front of you. And none of the labels matter. I'm not really into soccer. I'm telling you right now. 
But I'm also not really into people killing each other and hating each other and disrespecting each other and hurting each other and despising each other and stabbing each other in the back and trying to be better than each other or thinking that they're worse than... I'm, I'm not into that either. As much as I don't like necessarily care or like soccer, I equally don't like any of that. Tell me if you agree with me. Come on, tell me if you agree. There's too much hatred and bitterness in the world. Tell me if you agree. Come on, if you with me, act like it. There's just too much pettiness and selfishness in the world. There are too many people who are committed to violence and anger and who, and, and who will win by any means necessary. Don't care about the cost or the consequences. If you see somebody that's hurt, help. If you see somebody wounded, help. If you see somebody struggling, help. Even if they're wrapped in a frame or a package or a body or a sexuality or a fraternity or a sorority or a government you may not like. Think about that over the break. And before we come back, maybe you should go down the hall and give somebody a hug. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. So I'm done with the headlines, okay, because I only got a couple of minutes left, and if I don't do some Ask Dr. Sean, you people are going to have fit. You guys don't like when I don't do Ask Dr. Sean, so I'm committed to making you happy. So Harley, play the bumper, man. Let's do some Ask Dr. Sean, people. You guys always send me amazing videos, and you continue to do so, and thank you for the questions and the videos that you send. Uh, they not just help to make the show, but they also help um, me to help people who are dealing with similar situations. Let's take a look at this video. Hi, Dr. Sean. I'm Amy Baker, and I'm from Ohio, and I needed some advice. So sometimes I have a hard time saying no, and I want to know what would be a good way to say no without actually hurting someone's feelings or ruining a relationship. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for the question. So here it is. The way to say no without hurting someone's feelings is not to say no, it's to say I can't. Different, right? When you say to someone I can't do something, <clears throat> then it's not a matter of desire. It's a matter of ability. So you ask me to, I don't know, drive you to Nova Scotia. I'm going to say to you, no matter how close we are, I can't do it. I want to do it. I wish I could do it. You're, you're special and invaluable to me, so much so that I wish I could find a way in my schedule in my life to pull that off for you, but I just can't. I can't do it right now. I can't do it today. I can't do it. See, when you give people that, you give them a sense that you're valuing the relationship, you love them, and that your inability is not indicative of commitment or connection. It's, a, it's representative, rather, of capacity, not desire. And someone who can't accept the fact that you can't do something is someone who may not love you as much as you think they do. Because if you tell me that you can't do something and then I'm mad at you for the fact that you can't do it, then what is this about? Now, if you tell me you can do it, but you just don't want to, <laughs> listen, we're going to have a nice long talk. So I would invite you to sort of, you know, let people know what your, what your limits are, that this is a matter of capacity and not love. All right, I got to do one more real quick. Someone emailed me this question. I caught the guy I am in a relationship with on a date with another woman. When I confronted him, he told me he doesn't consider it cheating because we aren't married. Does he have a point? Hell no. <laughs> Who is this guy? This guy is a master manipulator, okay? All right? Let me give you some advice before you fight, deal with him very quickly. Run as fast as you can, okay? Anybody who will try to convince you that you're in somebody you're in a relationship with that is not cheating only because you're not married is someone you need to get away from. He does not have a point, girl. <laughs> Why did you need to ask me that? No. No. 
he has violated, I'm a, I, at least I, from your question, the conditions of your relationship. Unless you're in an open relationship, unless you both agreed it's okay to date other people, and he's violated what it is you have together. He does not have a point. And someone who will manipulate you in the beginning is someone who will also manipulate you in the middle and the end. See, I'm glad he cheated on you. I'm glad he did it. I'm glad you got to see not just that he has the capacity to cheat, because really every human being has that capacity, if we're going to be honest. But I'm glad you got to see what his response was to the infraction, because his response tells you more about the thing that he did. And you needed to see that right now. Not 10 years from now, not when you accept a ring, not when you're walking down the aisle, not when you're giving birth to his children. Right now, you need to know right now that that's the kind of man that he is. He's not the kind of man that'll look you in the face and say, I made a mistake and I'm sorry. I'm wrong. And I'll do better. Every day, day by day, I'll do better. He ain't that kind of man to own his fallibility, to own his failures, and to give voice to his pain. He's the kind of man that wants to make you feel crazy <laughs> for not liking what he did to you. Girl, you better run, find you somebody who will be committed to you and love you the way you deserve to be loved. Because we all deserve that. Does he have, does he have a point? <laughs> Don't you ever ask this question to nobody again. Promise me you will bury this question. Go find you some real love. It's out there. Thank you for tuning in tonight. I'll see you next week, people. We got more for you. We got more for you. Don't go anywhere. We got great programming coming up. It's good to see you. I missed you, all right? Y'all be good to each other. And not just nice. <laughs> be good to each other. I love you. How about that? Moms are amazing at tracking down hard-to-find items. Library books, socks, you name it. But sometimes help is welcomed. Care.com makes it easy to find babysitters near you. Sitters with the experience and skills your family needs, like after-school pickup and homework help. You just post a job for qualified sitters to apply. And since all Care.com caregivers are background checked, you can feel confident about interviewing and hiring. To get the child care help you need, sign up now at care.com. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.